You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Christ Church Toronto. My name is Kyle Hackman. I am one of the pastors here at Christ Church Toronto. And if you just tuned in, we are really glad that you have joined us this morning. We're going to turn our attention to looking at a passage from God's Word. We're going to continue our sermon series in the I Am statements that Jesus makes in John's Gospel. We'll be spending most of our time looking this morning at John chapter 8, verse 12. But I want to read uh, the verse in context to you so that you understand a little bit of what is going on as Jesus identifies as the light of the world. So give God's word your full attention. Again, this is John chapter 8, verses 12 through 30. If you have a Bible, it would be helpful to open up and to focus in your attention on God's word. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees asked him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I come from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about you. They said to him, therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury, as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him, because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I'm going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself, since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? And Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. This is God's word. It is absolutely true. It is given because our Heavenly Father loves us. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this, your word, and this this snapshot in the life of Jesus. Would you help us to see Jesus as this crown jewel and beautiful Savior, this wonderful brother to us. Would you help us in seeing Jesus to be a people filled with hope? Make us a people uh, during this time 
which feels somewhat like a time of darkness, make us a people who radiate and shine brightly and reflect the light of Christ as we lay eyes upon him this morning. This we ask in his name. Amen. Well, I often find myself reading the advice columns in newspapers. I love reading them. In many ways, it's pastoral ministry uh, taking place from the newspaper writer to the various people who ask questions. You see a different side of humanity in the advice columns. And last week, or a couple weeks ago, the New York Times had someone write in and ask for advice. The individual asking for advice had a 30-year-old daughter, and her daughter wanted to bring her boyfriend on the family vacation to Greece. The only problem was her daughter's boyfriend was actually a married man. The lady who wrote in asking for advice didn't want to foot the bill, and she also found that she didn't want to encourage the relationship because she couldn't imagine it bringing any happiness, true and lasting happiness, to her daughter. But she was also scared to lose the relationship with her daughter and did not know what to do, so she wrote in for advice. And what followed had me shocked, and I actually had much of the internet shocked, because the editor of the response told the mother that she had personal issues that she needed to work out. She needed to respect her daughter's choices, and she accused the author of the question of substituting her own ideas of happiness with her daughter's. She then offered some what seemed to me to be condescending advice, suggested that the person writing the question read a little bit more about polyamory and become more open-minded, and then this conflict would melt away. Needless to say, I found myself surprised, and I was also pleasantly surprised to see much of the internet commenting on this advice. Now, why do I share this? To shame anyone who's in a polyamorous relationship? Now, if you're watching this video and you're in a polyamorous relationship, we hope you feel welcome just like anyone else. But I share this and share some of the backlash that took place very quickly on Twitter to highlight the fact that we are a people searching for light, but we spend most of our life groping in the darkness. I'm not saying that uh, some kind of sexual ethic from a Victorian era, era would sort of solve all our problems. I'm saying that we, as a, as a human race, are a people, whether it be sexual ethics or social media or fake news or how to handle ourselves in a pandemic, we are a people groping in darkness. As a child, I always assumed the adults had all the answers and knew what they were doing, and the older I get, the more and more I realize that that is not true. We are a people who stumble in the darkness, we trip and we don't want to admit the times in which we fall flat on our face. To be human is to be born in the dark, to be scared of the dark, and to be searching for some light, may, may it be even just a nightlight that will give us just enough light to, to stumble through life. And it's into this world of darkness that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. A world overwhelmed by darkness, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And what I want to look at this morning is I want to ask the question, what does Jesus mean when he says that he is the light of the world? Second, I want to ask, why do we need his light? And third, I want to ask, how do we find his light? So what does he mean when he says, I am the light of the world? Why do we need his light? And how do we find his light? So first, what does Jesus mean when he says that he is the light of the world? Well, he's making an incredibly, incredibly bold claim when he says, I am the light of the world and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's a bold claim, 
I can, I can say that with confidence because in verse 20 we read that he is very likely to be arrested for what he has said. In fact, in verse 58 of this chapter, uh, further down in the chapter, which we didn't read, they will pick up stones and be ready to stone Jesus because of the, what he is saying in verses like this. If I walked into the room and I said, well, let me introduce myself. My name is Kyle Hackman. I really light up a room. And boy, do I ever light up this room. You'd probably see me as somewhat narcissistic and somewhat strange. But that, that would be uh, altogether different from what Jesus is doing in this particular passage because he is, he is making this statement at a very critical time on the calendar. In the previous chapter, we learned that Jesus made this statement while the Jewish people were celebrating the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles, one of the three major feasts that the Jewish people were required to keep. Uh, anyone who lived within 25 kilometers of Jerusalem was, was to come to Jerusalem to celebrate the, the festival there. And this festival was no chore to come to. It seems as though, at least from the history books that we have, to be one of the more lively celebrations. It's still celebrated today. If you have any Jewish neighbors, you'll see them make something like a makeshift tent and eat their meals outdoors, and generally around October. It was an eight-day celebration where God's people remembered the ways in which they lived in tents and traveled through the desert to the promised land. There were various elements to the ceremony elements related to water, various songs that were sung. But one element that is relevant to Jesus' claim here is what was called the light ceremony that we read about in various rabbinical literature. Four huge candelabras were lit. They were massive. Their wicks were made with the priest's garments. And they were, they were massive, massive uh, candelabras that were set up in the temple right at the treasury. And when they were lit... It, was, it is said that all of Jerusalem was aglow. This was part of the ceremony as the lights, as the sun went down, as, as during the Feast of Booths, as the people celebrated, this was a high point of the ceremony where they would come together and sing and they would light these candles, which would light up the entire city. And the whole point of lighting these candles was to remember the ways in which God led his people in darkness through a pillar of fire by night and a cloud, a smoke cloud by day. They were to remember the ways in which God himself revealed his glory to his people through the form of this bright light and led them through the most difficult time of their life into their promised land. We know from chapter 7 that we're in the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. And we read in chapter 20 that Jesus is standing in the very area where we know these massive candles were soon to be lit. And what does he say? Maybe as the night comes to a conclusion, maybe as the roar of the candles are behind him, what does he say? He says, I am the light of the world. I am the true light of the world. The same way God showed up in the darkest moments of our nation's history, when all would be lost, his glory appeared in the desert. I now am here. I am the light for the whole world. The glory of God is manifest in me. This is why we read that he had a chance of being arrested after making this statement. This is why first the Pharisees and then the Jewish people argue with him. The Pharisees in verse 13 through 20 argue about whether or not he can make this testimony about himself. He is claiming not just abstractly to light up a room. 
He is claiming to be the glory of Israel's God in human flesh, the great I am right before them. This is a claim that you will not hear in any religion. You won't hear it in Islam. You won't hear it in Hinduism. You won't hear it in Buddhism. Jesus is saying, I am the light. Not that I'm the enlightened one, but I am the real thing. The light itself. I reveal who God is perfectly. You see, virtually every religion you can explore and search out will agree that we as a human race are struggling and battling through darkness. And the question is, where do we find the light? And very often, uh, suggestions will be given that you can find reflections of the light in some revelation. But here is Jesus saying, I am no reflection. I am the light itself. He couldn't be more clear. He says, if you knew me, you would know the Father. That's what he says in verse 19. In chapter 14, later in verse 9, he's going to say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's going to continue making this claim throughout John's gospel. He's saying to these people that God's divine light, the God who is pure light and radiates in pure light, the light which our world needs so that life can be sustained, the light which is so critical to what it means to be human, these are all glimmers of the true light, God himself. And Jesus is saying, I am that light right here in your presence. If you want to know what God is like today, look to Jesus. God is like Jesus. The pure and radiant light of God is made clear and manifest in Jesus. What does Jesus mean when he claims to be the light of the world? He's saying he is the pure light of the heavenly realm on earth. God is appearing before his people. But now let's ask, why do we need this light that Jesus brings? Now the reason we need this light that Jesus brings is because we are a people who walk around in darkness. Now we don't walk around in darkness uh, at some fault of God because he's found himself hiding the light. If anything, we're somewhat like the child who believes they can close their eyes and hide from you as in their mind, darkness has, be has overwhelmed them. Listen, we live in a world of deep darkness, disorienting darkness. We don't know where to find the light. And if we're honest with ourselves, we often find ourselves pursuing deeper and greater darkness. We feel comfortable in the darkness. And without light, the, the disorienting experience of darkness will drive us to despair. This is the human predicament we find ourselves in. I don't know if you have ever been in the situation where you put a new light fixture in your home, but there's a time in which you never realize how dark your home has been until you see new and bright lights appear in a different room. They expose things you had never seen before. And this is why we need the light of Jesus to come to us, because we are in darkness and we need his light, the specific light he brings to expose and shine brightly in, those dar in the darkness of our human condition. Listen, as I have tried to argue, and I think it's not a hard case to make, I think everyone would agree, all human religions agree that humanity walks around in some kind of darkness. We're birthed into a dark world. And the questions we find ourselves wrestling with are, how do we live well in this dark world? How do we know we're doing life right? And we search for light, and we find glimmers of it. Some of us find hope in politics. We see the unequal distribution of wealth as being something that breeds darkness in our world. And so we shine light on this, hoping that if we could just redistribute wealth, light would shine again on society. 
Or maybe we see racism as this core problem that's brought inequality to our world, sort of unbearable inequality. And if we could just shine light into racially motivated policies and injustices, then hope again would fill this world. Maybe it's nationalism, maybe it's violence, maybe it's greed. All of us believe that there is something that is causing the darkness to flourish in our world. And all of us believe if we could just find that light, we would expose that light to the darkness and it would make the world a better place. Friends, the whole enlightenment project that was uh, so such an important part in shaping our Western world, was it not a belief that religion itself was keeping the world in darkness? And the way forward was to unshackle ourselves from religion and using pure human reason, shine, shining the light of pure human reason, advanced humanity forward. In our therapeutic age, even those of us who maybe don't turn to uh, politics or don't turn to uh, sort of bashing religion as a way in which we're going to shine light on the darkness. Many of us meet with counselors and, and experience types of therapies where things like trauma, are, we're told, are darkness in our lives, and therapists work hard to shine light on these things. I'm belaboring the point, what am I trying to say? Jesus is saying that all of these problems are real problems. We really do wander in the darkness, and we really do need light, a tremendous amount of light. But there's a deeper problem under all of those problems I just listed. There's a deeper problem that the light must shine upon. One author I read this week quote, uh, put it this way. He writes, The problem, according to the light of the world, is that we come in bondage to sin. We're held hostage by the power of evil and we live in the grip of death. What makes it so bad is that the bondage blinds us so that we do not know the true nature of our condition. Maybe it could illustrate it this way. With the recent passing of Desmond Tutu, I was able to read a little bit of his work, No Future Without Forgiveness, his book on truth and reconciliation. And it's unbelievable what he is able to record. Horrible, horrible atrocities that were committed. Some of the most brutal acts I've ever read. Uh, confessed, actually, in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. First-hand victims of such horrible and heinous crimes uh, relaying their stories. And at one point of the book, Tutu writes this, This and more was the kind of testimony that devastatingly made me realize that there is an awful depth of depravity that we could all sink, that we possess an extraordinary capacity for evil. This applies to all of us. There's no room for gloating or arrogant finger pointing. We have supplied God with enough evidence, if he had need of it, to want to dispatch all of us, to wipe the slate clean. But it is important to note that those guilty of these abuses were quite ordinary folk. They did not grow horns on their foreheads or have tails in their trousers. They look just like you and me. They are, for all intents and purposes, normal people like you and me. You see, the sobering reminder Tutu is giving to us is that darkness isn't just a problem out there. It's not just a problem with the New York Times columnists and editors. It is our problem in here. We spend most of our time acknowledging that we're in the darkness, but trying to bandage the symptom, shining just little lights, little little glimmers, little flashlights on problems in our life. But we need to be honest with ourselves. We are captivated suffocated, drowning by the darkness. We are in deep, deep bondage to the darkness. The Bible would say we are dead to sin. And what we need is 
not just a small flashlight to shine light on problems, although that will be what we have to do from time to time. What we need is a savior, a bright light, a sun, a greater light than the sun to expose and show all of us this bondage we're in so that we can move forward. And the only question is, how are we going to find that light? How do we find this light of the world? How do we turn this switch on in our life? Well, what does the verse say? Whoever follows me. Now, it's tempting at this point to say, okay, here we go. You know, follow me. Walk in the light of Jesus' teaching. Follow his example. We know where this sermon's going. Be a good person. Let's wrap it up so we can get to lunch. Listen, the reason I left these longer readings in this passage and I read them to you is because I wanted to show that the, the darkness is this predicament that is suffocating us. It is, it is deeper and more entwined in what it means for us to experience life on this earth. And to have the light that we need to shine upon us, it's going to require us to do more than just see an example and be challenged to do better. Look what we read in verse 28. If you have your Bible in front of you, look what verse 28, what does Jesus say? He says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know. I am he. In John 12, Jesus is going to make abundantly clear that what it means for him to be lifted up is a reference to his death on a cross. Practically what Jesus is saying is this. You can't follow me until you have seen me lifted up. Maybe another way to put it is this. You are bathed in so much darkness. There's no way you could tolerate the light coming into your life until you have seen me lifted up. You must see me as the light of the world, but the light of the world having been crucified. Only then, only then, as you look at my nail-pierced hands and legs, as you see God's glorious light radiate out on the cross. Only then, as you see the light of the world willing to be snuffed out and seemingly dominated and swallowed up by a deep darkness, only then will you understand the true light of the world that emerges from the grave three days later. Only then will you understand and be able to rightly and truly follow the light. You'll learn to love to walk in the light, to expose the light to you. I don't know about you, but there's certain light at, at certain places in my house that I know if I look in the mirror just the right way at the right time, I will see certain imperfections. I know that, uh, that most of us know something of this. We don't want our photo taken at certain times when the light's so perfectly on us. It will expose our ugliness. We're not ready for the photo shoot. Friends, listen, what I'm trying to say is this, and maybe I'm not being clear, but let me try to be clear. God's light is so overwhelming. It's so abundant. It's so in your face that it will expose each and every one of your faults. And the, the more you see yourself rightly, through his light, the more it comes down upon you, it's going to expose things you never saw coming. And when you see these imperfections, when this light is so penetrating upon you, there's going to be one of two responses that you're going to have. You're either going to run away from the light or you're going to run towards the light. And the only way, the only way to run towards the light is to see the light emulating and radiating at that cross. As Jesus hung on that cross, blood shed for you. His life given for you. It was love that drove him to that cross, seeking your forgiveness, ensuring justice still reigns and flourishes on this world. What I'm trying to say is this. 
Friends, the same sun that can melt wax can also harden clay. And without seeing the sun lifted up, without Jesus, without this light, uh, without seeing the way this light passes through the cross, the light will will do nothing but shine brightly on you and harden you in your darkness. You'll prefer the darkness. You'll feel more comfortable in the darkness. You will run the other way. You'll make excuses for hiding from the light. And you will seek to spend your life deceiving yourself. But friends, when you see the light of the world lifted up on the cross, killed to atone for your rebellion against your creator, then and only then will you have the great delight and experience of walking into the delight, of noticing all your imperfections, and not seeking to hide them, but to actually expose more light on your imperfections, and even sharing what you're seeing with others. Not repulsed by your imperfection, but confident that God, who is the light of the world, would die on the cross for you, for these imperfections. And with hope, expose these imperfections, knowing that Jesus loves you deeply and he will never cast you away. There's no need for makeup. There's no need to hide these imperfections and failures. When you see Jesus, the light of the world, going to the cross for you, It's only then that as the sun hits your skin, it will melt your hardened heart like wax. It's only then that the light of the world will feel like that bright sun at the beach to a Canadian on a February evening. Friends, Jesus is the light of the world. Receive this light. We've grown way too comfortable walking in the darkness, hiding in the shadows. This passage is telling each and every one of us to walk into the light. It might be intimidating. It might be blinding. But at the cross, what do we see? The light of the world gave his life for you and for me. And he did that so that you could come into and be exposed by the light and the resulting impact not be your shame. The resulting impact would be the progress in your very life towards the glory with which you were created to participate in. This is what Jesus is calling you. He is the light of the world. Come to the light. Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ChristChurchToronto.ca or email us at info at ChristChurchToronto.ca.